reading from Mark chapter 13, beginning to read at verse 24. But in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be checking. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that the summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it's near, right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It is like a man going away. He leaves his house and put his servants in charge. Each with his assigned task and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at the midnight or when the cock cross, or at the dawn, if he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. It does seem strange being here and talking to an empty church. It's, I really miss the opportunity to interact with the congregation, but uh, this is the way it is for the moment. It won't always be like that. Um, today is a very special day. It's the first Sunday in Advent. So I decided to look up the word Advent in the Oxford English Dictionary, and I found this. Advent is the arrival of a notable person or thing. It is the first season of the church year leading up to Christmas and including the previous four Sundays. It is the coming or the second coming of Christ. Some time ago I was privileged to watch a DVD called Heaven and Earth and it was a debate between an Orthodox Jew and an Evangelical Christian musician. 
A lot of it has escaped my memory, but the bit that sticks with me is the attitude of the Orthodox Jew. Speaking about the Lord's coming, he was passionate, he was excited. He might come today. We don't know. But we must be ready. And this really stayed with me. You see, Orthodox Jews have not, in many cases, recognized the first coming of Jesus the Messiah. They are looking for what the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures speak about, his coming in power and glory. This quotation from Daniel, that he will come on the clouds of heaven in power and great glory. This is what so many of them are looking for. They wait for that promised redeemer who will deliver Israel from all her enemies. What a, what a prospect. And they wait with perfect faith and a passion that outshines ours. If you look around you today, in the shops and on the roads and in the nurseries, the Christmas trees are making their way from Shy to the nurseries so they can be sold. And all the food is being produced and all the baubles that we're expected to use for Christmas. What was, what most people are celebrating at the moment is that looking back to the first coming of the Lord Jesus, the baby in the manger in Bethlehem. Today is an opportunity for us on the first Sunday of Advent to look forward to something which has got to be so much nearer to us now than that is. We look back with thanksgiving that in his mercy and his grace he came to lay down his life as a ransom for us all. But now we're looking forward, watching and waiting for that moment when he's going to return. Maybe he will come today, very likely during our lifetime. We have to be ready. Why 2,000 years of waiting? This was a question that the Apostle Paul struggled with. Why was it when he went and preached the gospel to his own people, they didn't want to know? And as he reasoned about it, he came to the conclusion that God had an even bigger plan in mind. The plan was that when the gospel, the good news about the salvation purchased by Jesus would have gone out to all the Gentile nations. And so he writes, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, then all Israel will be saved. The Redeemer will come from Zion and all Israel will be saved. And so we are waiting for the day when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, when the gospel has been preached to all nations and the Gentiles have come to faith. That includes us. As Christians, disciples of Jesus, 
both Jewish and Gentile, we remember then and we celebrate that first Advent. But our reading from the Gospel, thank you, Dozy, reminds us that we should be alert as that precious man is, was, I don't know, is he still alive? I don't know. As that precious man was to the coming of the Lord Jesus with power and great glory. Where does that reference come from? Well, it comes from the Hebrew Scriptures. It was part of Daniel's vision. He saw one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven and in power and great glory. And this is what we're looking forward to. Paul himself, we call him Saint Paul, which simply means actually that he was one who was set apart for God by God was a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi. His given name was Saul of Tarsus. He rejected out of hand the possibility that Jesus could be Israel's Messiah. And we know from the book of Acts that he supervised the murder of the first Christian martyr known as Stephen. He set out to destroy the church both in Jerusalem and round about. And he obtained letters from the high priest to go to Damascus to round up the believers there and bring them back to deal with them in Jerusalem. However, on the way, possibly along the Golan Heights, the risen Lord Jesus met with him and his life was turned round. He became a believer, he became a follower of Jesus and he was given the mission to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus to the Gentile world. The Corinthians that we're about to read about today, and we're going to study a passage from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, received that gospel message from this man who had met the living, risen Lord on the Golan Heights. Now, Dozy, could you perhaps read for us this passage from the letter to the Corinthians? Second reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning to read at verse 2 down to verse 9. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship 
with his son Jesus Christ our Lord is faithful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, Thanks to, God. be to God. What do we know about this church, this fellowship in Corinth? We have to get out, out of our heads the idea that the church is the building. It isn't. It's the people, the community of those who have placed their faith in Jesus. And this was a problem for the community in Corinth. And Corinth was the capital of the Roman province of Achaia and a centre of idolatry. There were many deities represented by temples all over the place in the city. And these idols were celebrated in festivals, public festivals, world, um, right across the city, and in private dinner parties. This little fellowship, assembly, was predominantly Gentile, and they lived in this pagan society, a society that was controlled by idol worship. That raised a lot of problems. And if you wish to know how Paul dealt with the problems, which were many and various, you need to read the rest of the book of Corinthians. They had written to Paul to ask how they should deal with the various matters that had arisen. Well, we're only going to look at the introduction to the letter today, and I have chosen to include verse 2 because I think it tells us something very special. Let me remind you of what it says. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Paul is writing. He refers to them as the church of God those who've been called out from that pagan situation to be followers, to be joined to God. He talks about those who are sanctified, set apart in Christ Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua. And they are called to be holy, different, separated in their lifestyle. And all that they do and say, they're, they're called to be separate, to be different. And Paul adds, together with all those everywhere. Bring it up to date. That's got to include us. Who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And you notice this, and ours. Paul a Jewish rabbi is linking himself with these Gentile believers. These Gentile believers, through their faith in Jesus, have been grafted into Israel's olive tree. So Jesus is both their Lord and Paul's Lord. Now that is remarkable. They are a new creation. They've been set apart by the Holy Spirit. Christ dwells in them, and they dwell in him. They call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I did a lot of research on this. I had a great time with it. Um, there's an awful lot about a name. And it's an exercise you might like to do yourself at one point. Um, if you look back into the Hebrew scriptures, the Lord has many names. The Lord who saves. The Lord who is my banner. The Lord who is my righteousness, etc. If research it, it's, it's really exciting. But what about the name Yeshua? His name means the Lord who saves, or the Lord is salvation. The name Jesus describes who he is and what he does. We don't always realize that. We tend to think that Jesus is his Christian name and that Christ is his surname. It's not true. The angel's message to Joseph before the child was born was, you shall call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Bear that in mind. And as a redeemer, at his first coming, Jesus paid the price for each one of his people, both Jew who believes and Gentile and us. The Corinthian believers call on him, call on his name, all that he is, as the one who has saved them from their sins. But we read he is also the Christ. What's that? The Messiah. The anointed one. Now, who was anointed? A prophet? A priest? A king? The Messiah. Jesus was all of those. Following Pentecost, Peter had a huge crowd in Jerusalem and he spoke to them. And one of the things he said was, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He is Israel's Messiah and King. He now reigns at the right hand of the Father until all of his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. Now, let's bring it home. Like these Corinthian believers, we here, and probably most of you who are watching on video, are Gentiles. And we live in a culture which is becoming increasingly pagan. But we are set apart. We are saved by the death of Jesus. We too may call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can call on him for what he has done. We call on him for who he is. I like that. So that's why I've included part of those extra verses. Now, let's look at the passage more carefully. Like the believers in Corinth, we put our trust in Jesus. We, like them, have been born of his spirit. We are in Christ. And he is in us. God 
in his grace and mercy, has poured out on us everything we need for what lies ahead. He has made sure that in each fellowship, in our fellowship, we do not lack any spiritual gift. The gifts of speaking and of knowledge we exercise are evidence of the fact that we've been born again. But let's not forget, if we look at that list of gifts, his gifts include gifted people. So easy to to major in on the speaking and so on and so forth. But he has given us gifted people. He's given us apostles. He's given us prophets. He's given us teachers. He's given us workers of miracles. He's given us gifts of healing. He's given us gifts of administration. And what would we do without them? All of this is part of the package of what God has poured out on us Gentiles. And it's wonderful. But pay particular attention to verse 7 in our reading. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. These Corinthians are well equipped for tough times which lie ahead. The tough times that will precede his coming. They can be confident that he will keep them strong and blameless. We are included in that. We have his word that he will keep us to the end. It's interesting to remember, and so easy to forget, that Paul and Peter and many other believers in their generation expected the Lord Jesus to return in power and great glory during their lifetime. And it didn't happen. Paul was also aware of the prophecies in the Hebrew scriptures regarding the return of the Lord Jesus, given in answer to questions about that coming. If we had read further back in Matthew, Mark's gospel, we would have realized that there are things going to happen which are going to be really bad. And you read in the other gospels, you read even more of it. It's going to get tough. There will be signs of his coming. We need to keep our eyes on the ball. Peter was looking forward to the day of the Lord. And there were people around who were saying, oh, well, what about, where are the signs of his coming? You know, we've heard it all before. He's been on about this for a long time. Um, Yes and no. We have been talking about it for a long time. But now it's imminent, more imminent than when this was written. Paul was expecting it. Peter was expecting it. It didn't happen. But soon, and very soon, I believe it will. We need to be ready. We need to be absolutely on the ball, waiting for his coming at every moment, at every time. What can we do? How shall we look forward? Well, 
it's so easy to look back and we'll spend a lot of time looking back and people around us will spend a lot of time looking back but our focus must be looking ahead we need to be focused we need to be looking for the signs of his coming and we need to be prepared we need to have that wonderful enthusiasm he might come today how can we do that by our lifestyle by the things that we focus on by the way that we are looking 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 around us seeing how things are going and reading the signs of the times looking for his coming israel is a case in point we sang that wonderful hymn about o come o come emmanuel redeem your captive israel um yes yes indeed keep your eyes on israel keep your eyes on what the lord is doing in israel but keep your eyes on what is happening in the world around us and above all things keep your eyes on jesus wait with expectation wait with the enthusiasm that this lovely jewish man experienced he might come today we must be ready and one of the most important things that we can do is to make sure that we get the gospel out it's vital because if he's not going to return until the gentiles have received the message of the gospel and had a chance to respond then we're going to be waiting for quite a bit longer so let us let us focus on his first coming yes that's good we've done that but let us above all things look forward to what lies ahead of us and maybe it will be a lot sooner than we think blessed be his name